This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone, as we uh, inch ever closer to Christmas and the Christmas holiday season. Uh, Not a half bad day out there today. Do enjoy it and be careful if you're out doing some last minute shopping. Well, if you were listening to the show yesterday, you would have heard RNU President Yvette Coffey outlining the exodus of nurses from the healthcare system. 300 nurses left full-time work in the province's healthcare system in the first 10 months of the year, while the total number of nursing vacancies in healthcare is in the range of 700, according to Coffee. But registered nurses are just part of the overall healthcare equation. Many more healthcare professionals, all vital to the smooth operation of healthcare, are feeling the strain with some leaving the system, making things even tighter and more stressful for those left behind. Well, efforts are underway to increase federal health transfers to the provinces to help stop the bleeding. But Prime Minister Justin Trudeau indicating that more work needs to be done to fix a broken system before throwing more money at it. That said, Quebec Premier Francois Legault today says he's more optimistic than ever about reaching a health care funding deal with Ottawa following a recent meeting with the PM. Health care is the most pressing of a number of issues facing the province and the public sector in Newfoundland and Labrador. My guest today on On Target is president of the province's largest public sector union, Jerry Earle of NAEP. Hello. Good afternoon, Linda, to you and your listening audience. So that's all very, sounds very dire, but I mean, we've all dealt with difficulties in the past, uh, and we started the year with a great deal of concern over the cracks and strains in the healthcare system, and some days it feels like we've reached the breaking point. What are your members telling you? What we're hearing from healthcare workers through the entirety of Newfoundland and Labrador is they're certainly uh, stressed and de-stressed. from the results of this pandemic and because they've been putting on toll hours, uh, very dedicated to what they do, uh, keeping our healthcare system afloat, even with the challenges that's there, uh, healthcare workers are doing their very best to ensure a service available where possible. Uh, it's challenging in various parts of the province to different degrees, but our members are very concerned. Uh, they recognize there is problems, but willing to contribute through their voice and through solutions that they believe can be attainable, uh, but it's going to take some time. It's going to take a collaborative approach by many players to get there. And so you uh, represent quite a few uh, people in the healthcare sector. LPNs, is that correct? Absolutely. And we represent a wide variety of healthcare workers, both in internal in the facilities, whether it be acute care or long-term care, and actually in the community, uh, home care workers, social workers, public health, community health. So a very wide range of healthcare professionals. And I always say each and every healthcare professional contributes, whether it be in the support services or professional services, because it's a, healthcare is like a chain. Every link is critical. Uh, and once one is weakened or broken, then it impacts the entire system. Are you seeing the same level of staffing shortages that we've seen with other uh, professions like uh, nursing and, and physicians? 
Absolutely. And every time, Linda, you see these shortages or and the most recent example I go back to, uh, cancer care, for example, and the radiation therapist, where we actually seen a direct impact where people may now have to leave their home province while they're going through the most difficult time in their life away from their family to receive cancer care. So again, because of radiation therapist, very specialized uh, services, uh, not a major number. We're talking about 35, 40 people uh, in the entire province actually all within the metro region right now uh, and with about a 25% loss in the last year or so to a point where we actually see in a clinic. The same for respiratory therapists. We are gone, have gone through and in the midst of a respiratory uh, virus that's impacting many in our province and there's a shortage in this area. These respiratory therapists are putting in untold hours and most don't realize the work they do but uh, critical care units, uh, if somebody comes in in respiratory arrest or whatever in an emergency department, they're the individuals that's called up on uh, and they need to be there. And again, sending a cardioperfusionist, uh, hope and heart surgeries do not take place. While they not, do not perform the surgery, the surgeries cannot take place with anyone. The same with LPNs, paramedics, and I can go on with the, the list of professional social workers uh, in healthcare where we're seeing shortages, we're seeing retention and recruitment problems. Uh, have you got any numbers on, on some of the gaps? Just give you an example. Like I said, the, the one group I just mentioned, radiation therapists, down 25%. Like, well, 10 don't seem like a lot. It's 25% of the individuals. So outright closed an entire unit, one of only four in the entire province. Uh, air in the Met in Eastern Elf alone, uh, we're being told numbers, for example, LPNs and PCAs, 129 true vacancies in each one of those occupations because that's the permanent and that's the temporary employees there already working their full complement of hours and having to be mandated to work additional. So true vacancies where just in Metro alone in those two occupations, paramedics start the province in Central, we know we're having major problems, Conception Bay North, we certainly know the problems here in the Metro region. So again, uh, having direct impacts uh, in response times in people's dire need, uh, recent incidents down in Bay Vert where ambulances just not available for hours on end, uh, so this is causing a ripple effect. Uh, and then the shortage that's impacting long-term care is actually impacting acute care because, believe it or not, there are empty beds in long-term care, but the staff is not there to fill that. Thus, we have people in acute care that's tying up beds, and that means why when you go to eMERGE, you can't get admitted because, again, there's multiple beds occupied by what we call alternative uh, displacement. So do you sometimes just sit down and say, oh... How do we fix this? <laughs> Certainly do, and every healthcare worker uh, does that to themselves. Say, what can we do? And I always say, and I know you can't change the past, but I wish that people had started to listen when healthcare workers and NAEP and other unions were six years ago. Uh, since I've taken this office seven years ago, I've been saying healthcare was on the cusp of a crisis. We had people that were denying that. And unfortunately, I hate to say I told you so, but we're in the midst of that crisis now. And, and yes, uh, the COVID uh, exacerbated that, but that was not the only factor because we had problems. Paramedics were on the side of the street. 
like some practical nurses were on the side of the street. Social workers were speaking out uh, before the pandemic started. Uh, so we had problems before this happened, and I had wished that people had listened in decision-making roles back then. I don't believe it would have been as bad as it is now. We'd still have challenges, but I don't think it would have been quite as bad as it is today. So uh, I guess where are the problem areas then? Is it, is it in, in the administration and how uh, the healthcare system is managed? Is it in the funding that's necessary to uh, help boost up uh, salaries and make jobs more attractive to people? Is it in the basic structure and how it all works? So what, where are the problem areas? I think it's a combination there, Linda. First of all, I think it's been some, I would say some, some mismanagement uh, across the province and in healthcare. It's not all about money because the money that's been expended in healthcare, you hear us and other uh, agent unions talk about it, the excessive overtime that's there. So there's money in the system if we could properly utilize it rather than burning out the individuals that are there. Like the significant dollars there, we have got to recognize that a number of professions, you have to recognize that you've got to be competitive with the rest of the country and probably globally now to attract professionals, especially in some areas, uh, retaining those that are there and then trying to recruit people. Because uh, first of all, we've got we to gotta try to keep the people that we have. We can't have further bleeding of the system uh, and then trying to pe- recruit people into healthcare. As difficult as healthcare is, the majority of people recognize it is quite uh, rewarding work, uh, being able to make a difference in people's lives when they're facing challenges. Having worked in healthcare myself, I don't mind saying I enjoyed when I worked in healthcare because you do get a chance to make a difference when people are facing challenges. Uh, unfortunately, part right now, healthcare workers cannot get to do what they're trained to do in many cases, sometimes just simple things because they don't have the time of the day and they're often under-resourced. So we've even talked about some years, uh, even before the pandemic started, there weren't sufficient resources in some areas of healthcare, and we cannot rely upon what we're doing today where people are working untold hours because people will exit the system if they cannot get a break at some point in time. Is it time to, you know, upend uh, the way things are done? I can't help but think that a lot of the systems that are in place within healthcare, and it's such a huge, complex type of system, um, uh, a lot of those systems were set up years ago. Things have changed so dramatically over time. Is it time to sort of upend all of that, look at how we do things and change it? I've always said, and I've been around for a long time, and I've, I've, I went through the healthcare system itself, worked frontline healthcare when we went through changes previously. There is change that has to happen. Uh, health Accord and health, there are good things. I'll be the first to admit I sat as part of that until toward the end uh, when a group of people led by Dr. Pat Parfrey and Sister Elizabeth Davis and multiple professionals, multiple frontline workers, union uh, leaders from across the province sat in as part of that. Change is necessary. Like I said, the system of Newfoundland and Labrador was set up when we had a very significant uh, demographic difference. Uh, we had a much younger population, less of an age population. And it's really flipped around now where we have a much more age population and less of a younger population. So uh, I think Health Accord NL, let's take a look at it. There's many good things in Health Accord NL. There is going to be change. That's going to be difficult for some people to accept change. Uh, but 
change often is necessary. It is difficult. Like I said, most people get accustomed to something. Well, I've heard it many times. Well, that's the way it's been for 20 years. If it's, if it's been that way for 20 years and it's working, that's okay. But it's been like for 20 years and it is not working, and we can see today healthcare in a number of areas is not working, uh, then addressing the problems is necessary. Long as it's done, listening to frontline workers, uh, seeking their input in a collaborative approach, and educating the general public to the necessity of change, and it's not going to make the system worse, it'll make it better. I believe in the end, uh, after we go to the change, it will be beneficial to the province. Our guest today on On Target is the president of NAEP, Jerry Earl. We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Our guest today on On Target is NAEP President Jerry Earle. And uh, Jerry, of course, uh, we are seeing the work now um, to merge the four regional health authorities into one. Will that help or make it easier in managing things like recruitment and retention and the necessary changes in the healthcare system? I believe it can work to the advantage of the healthcare system. Again, I know people are fearful that there may be, may be a negative impact, but I'm hoping what we'll see from that is a consistent approach across Newfoundland and Labrador uh, where areas of need are focused on first. In regards of the, because I understand the structure now, we've been at some briefings on, it's going to be almost like set up in a zone type structure where each area of the province uh, will still have representation. Uh, and I believe a focus has been on rural areas, whether that be Bay Vert, whether that be Buckins, whether it be uh, Labrador, the issues with area now to make sure those areas are addressed and addressed early on in the process. So I believe there will be, there's going to be concerns coming from there that we're watching closely. Uh, but again, when I started out, believe it or not, <laughs> there were 40-something individual health care boards. Uh, then we were down to most recent four. Uh, with a population of a little over 500,000 people in the province, I believe it can be managed through a single health entity if done proper uh, and with proper geographical representation and concentration on uh, areas in need. Is the union involved in providing feedback during this, this process? We have had several meetings with the interim uh, CEO and the leadership team, a most recent one just a week or so ago, uh, where officials from the Department of Health, the interim CEO, uh, once, as I understand, the actual, they're working now to put the official uh, board in place, uh, the executive team, and then we will certainly be engaging with them to have conversations. So there has been conversations, uh, there's no, not such as a working group and thing, but uh, in fairness, we've been given updates when we've asked for them. Uh, and again, we've echoed those messages about making sure areas of province is addressed, uh, the areas in healthcare addressed where there are shortages, and we're, we've indicated that we're certainly part, being prepared to be part of any type of participation or collaborative approach in trying to address those problems, and again, encourage them to engage. We do have working groups already uh, that have been in place sometimes with our paramedics or licensed practical nurses, with our social workers now have been working for some time collaboratively with different departments of government and different regional health authorities and coming up with good solutions. Uh, and we're prepared to continue to do that. You're kind of touching on it there now, but I've asked this of quite a few unions who have a hand in healthcare in Newfoundland and Labrador. I've asked this question of all of them, but what kind of a role can the public sector unions play in helping to find working solutions to some of these very important issues? 
I believe a significant role because I know the approach that we take is we will reach out to us with the radiation service. When those problems start developing, what did we do? We sat down and met with the radiation service and said, what do we need to do? What do we need to bring to the minister and officials that can address this problem? The same thing, we start to have problems with shortage of lysoproactive nurses some years ago. We put together a joint working group. Uh, we've actually now collaborated with the Minister of Health, Minister of Education and others. We've actually increased the number of seats in the College of North Atlantic where we're going to train more licensed practical nurses right here in Newfoundland and Labrador because likely if they train here or from here, there's a greater potential they stay. Uh, there never was a paramedic, advanced care paramedic program in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, we work with government. We now have two programs at the College of North Atlantic, one on the West Coast, one on the East. And there's other areas uh, we may be able to do that. So that's just a couple of examples where, again, and the frontline workers sit on these committees because who knows best uh, what the problems are, what the solutions may be than people that are working in the system every day. Are you willing to work collaboratively with other unions? Um, you know, I hate to start naming them because I'm going to miss somebody, but, you know, like AHP, uh, RNU, NLMA, QP. Absolutely. Well, look, one thing we do, because we're all under the Newfoundland Labor Federation of Labor, which we meet there on a whole variety of issues, uh, that's one thing the unions probably do better than most, uh, actually talk to each other about the issues. And like anything, there's going to be things that you'll differ on, but most often unions that represent like workers uh, see the problems and then try to address them because they know what, in, what impacts their members. If it's impacting a paramedic and a licensed practical nurse, it's impacting a registered nurse or it's impacting a paramedic paramedic that's a member of QP. Uh, when we talk about respiratory therapists, for example, uh, we represent them in part of the province and HP. So it's important that we are collaborating on this issue. Same with social workers. So yes, that's one thing uh, I wish, that's one thing that you can probably take from labor. Unions work more closely together uh, than most others do. Are you satisfied with um, the provincial government's efforts in, in the recruitment of, uh, and retention of uh, healthcare professionals or, or should we be doing more? Uh, what they're trying to do today, uh, I believe, is significant steps in the right direction. Uh, the approach is taken now by Minister Osborne and his department and the Premier. Uh, again, can change the path. I just wish the approaches had been taken sometime sooner. Uh, because, like I said, it's only recent that we added, for example, I believe that we added seats earlier to the colleges to retrain our own paramedics and our own LPNs and our own PCAs that increased numbers. We wouldn't have quite the shortage that we had. So that's thing that's happened recent, but again, it's proven and that can be expanded in other areas. Uh, but we had to continue on. Like, and the only thing I will say, Linda, the problems that are there today, uh, there's no easy fixes. I'd be the first to admit that. Uh, it's not going to get fixed tomorrow if people figure this is something that. Uh, Minister Osborne or any union or any professional association can fix in the next uh, weeks or a couple of months, uh, that's not going to occur. We're talking about finding solutions that are going to take 12, 18 months, I would suggest. Uh, but important, what can we do to keep the workers that we have so that we can stop the bleed, basically? Uh, we're talking about health care, but there's other areas that we talk about as well. Uh, but we have to, because that's the retention issues. Because people talk about recruitment retention. I always flip it around and say we have to do retention first and then worry about recruitment. Because if we cannot stop the bleed, uh, we can keep recruiting all we want if we keep losing people. Uh, so retention is uh, a priority first for us and then talk about recruitment on top of that. Our guest today on On Target is NAIT President Jerry Earle. We'll be back right after this. 
Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And you just heard from him there, which um, uh, offering his Christmas greetings. Our guest today on On Target is Nate President Jerry Earle. And uh, Jerry, we've been talking about staffing in healthcare, of course, but what about other sectors of government? Are we seeing any staffing shortages that are affecting public services in other areas? Absolutely, because we represent a number of public sector employees across the province. Uh, corrections is an example where the officers there, and there's healthcare workers in those facilities as well, are putting on, on toll hours where you're but mandation uh, in healthcare will our correction officer experience the same. They do reverse uh, mandation where they work all night and then are mandated to work for another 12 hours on top of a night shift, so 24 consecutive hours. Uh, we're down multiple positions, specifically in the metro region and on the west coast, Robinson Corner Brook. Uh, social workers, when you go outside the metro area uh, and step outside of healthcare, and what we see at CSSD, because we have social workers in CSSD and healthcare, significant shortages in CSSD. Uh, you go into Northern Peninsula to Labrador, uh, we're actually into a situation now where social workers are flying in and flying out two weeks on, two weeks off, uh, something unheard of a few years back. And that unfolds in areas like uh, we're concerned right now with MOS, for example, work service and transportation, uh, the people that keep our highways clear and safe, the maintenance of equipment. We know there's a shortage uh, of heavy equipment operators and trades personnel. So we're seeing it in multiple areas. It's uh, home care, uh, where we have home care workers trying to allow our seniors to age in place or those with disabilities to live in their own homes, their own communities close to their family, uh, but unable to recruit. Uh, youth care, uh, again, members that we represent with various agencies, uh, the staff turnover is unbelievable. So we're trying to deal with this across multiple sectors, working with different employers and multiple government departments, and it is a challenge. Uh, so like I said, it's, healthcare is certainly at for, foremost in most people's minds, but when we look at it from a union perspective, uh, we're seeing, Linda, those shortages, like I said, in corrections, and, and unfortunately, the general population don't turn a lot of attention to. We do, because the role that correction officers do, our social workers do, our home care do, uh, are just as important as those in the healthcare sector, because these are workers too, uh, and they deserve the recognition of the contributions they make every day. That's a really varied group of people, from corrections to uh, heavy equipment uh, operators and home care workers, social workers. Uh, so w- what's behind all of this? Are these uh, shortages pandemic related? Are they demographics? Are they uh, the result of uh, years of, I don't know, mismanagement or what, what's behind it? And I think, again, it's the Oslander where, uh, again, I wish people had listened when we were drawing attention to, and again, give credit to Minister Habit right now. We have had a working group in place for social workers. I think there's some very good work committed there. Uh, we've started the same now in healthcare and on the early stages of work, working with Minister Osborne and his team there. Because, again, engaging these frontline workers, because we always talk to these workers, like, what is it that will keep you in this profession? What is it, when, if you were trying to recruit people to this profession, what would you, and the same with correction officers, home care workers, so that's the dialogue we've been having. Uh, I just wish it had happened earlier in some areas, uh, and we're still pushing for it, believe it or not, in some areas. 
because the answers lie within. And again, the most recent group when I met with radiation therapists just a month or so ago, when you listen to some of these, uh, some very, again, young group, they will tell you why people won't come. Uh, but I don't think that message is getting relayed from frontline management to middle management all the way up to people that truly make the decision. So that's where some of it is getting lost. And uh, it, demographics is playing a role out in some rural parts of our province where young people, we've had some instances where people, some, some of the training you can't do in Newfoundland Labrador. People go out the province for their training, and unless they're supported in some way, they have no commitment to return. So we've talked to government, we've talked to employers as well, providing some help to those go out and return in service type of an agreement that they have to come back and work in their home province for a period of time. So there's different ways of doing it than all these initiatives the ideas that we bring forward, we gather them from the frontline workers that we represent and are on the front lines every day. Uh, and yes, when the, the pandemic unfortunately contributed because in some cases we weren't graduating numbers of professionals in some areas that we needed to. Uh, and then other provinces, other parts of the country, uh, other parts of the, across the globe experience a similar. So everybody is recruiting against one another right now. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, requirements to have um, some of these professionals come back uh, to work. But um, are there greater training opportunities here? Because I think all of us can understand very easily, you know, especially at that young age, if you're in your late teens, early 20s, you go somewhere new, you meet new people, you perhaps get involved in a relationship, and then that's where you stay. And and that's happened. That was some of the things that was brought forward to us. But it's clearly demonstrated, and that's one of the reasons why we talked about, and again, government has done, we have a great college system in our province. Like, a, again, a public college system. Uh, I think it's 17 campuses spread out Newfoundland, Labrador. Uh, and we encourage government, and government agreed that we put, like, LPN programs in various colleges throughout Newfoundland, Labrador, paramedic programs in various prog- colleges throughout Newfoundland, Labrador, and other programs. Uh, and what we, what we find is that most people, if they're on the Northern Peninsula, they can train to become an LPN or a paramedic or a PCA uh, in their own area. Uh, it lessens the cost to them, lessens the burden on them, and the majority of them tend to stay then in the area versus even if they come to Metro Region, St. John's, or if they go to Providence, a percentage do not return, or a greater percentage, I suggest, don't return. Uh, and again, with the challenge that people have today, if our governments could actually step up and support young people, recruit them from our our high schools into these programs and actually say to them, we will support you financially to do these particular programs, but in return, uh, there's got to be some, some I don't, I'm not talking full career, but even a number of years when you're going to have to work in Grand Bank uh, to more or less a, a returning service type and arrangement, but in return, they're getting financial assistance to go into these programs because we have young people that can't afford to go into some of these programs, whether it be a Newfoundland library, and you can only imagine the cost, uh, like a radiation therapy for example, there's only two places in Canada that train them, so they actually have to leave the province to train. Uh, but if we support the person before they've left the province to return home, uh, I think there will be a greater chance on the retention recruitment side, and that can be replicated in a number of professions.
You've been uh, speaking about, you know, some of the things that you wished uh, people had been paying closer attention to when they were raised years ago. But it struck me as you were talking, especially when it comes to our uh, public college system, that um, government seemed to put a real push about 10, 15, maybe 20 years ago on the skilled trades. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. And um, there's a, a real need for skilled trades right across Canada and getting more people involved in the skilled trades. I have no issues about that. But do you think that that came at, to the detriment of other professions, like uh, some of these professions we're talking about in healthcare in particular? No, I think what happened, and, and again, absolutely no problem because it was needed and even needed the skilled trades in a number of areas today. Uh, again, we even talk about in, in Lab West, for example, uh, we have a college there that meets the mining industry needs where you actually train people in the area to work in the area. But what happened after the same effort had been put into uh, healthcare professionals, healthcare support services, that was put in and even put in some years ago. It's been done in some areas areas now, I still think there's more that can be done because there's programs that we can deliver. We have a world-class uh, educational system here in this province, our post-secondary, whether it be our College of North Atlantic or whether it be MUN, where we can train our own people. We have a med school here. We have a school of nursing here that excels. Uh, we now have a paramedic program, advanced care paramedic program. Too bad we didn't do it sooner because, again, people, I believe, can get into those programs. It's not cost inhibitive in many cases. But, again, I, I think if you educate more because we don't promote uh, that enough, uh, and sometimes take an entry-level healthcare workers. Uh, I've seen it. It's how I come up to the healthcare system myself. Uh, got into a profession, and then the employer at the time supported me to advance into others. Uh, we've lost that today. I believe if we continued it, because uh, people within healthcare are attracted for a reason. For example, the same in corrections or same in social work. Uh, I believe we can address some of the problems that we have. But again, uh, somebody recruiting, from, uh, sorry, graduating from these programs, some of these programs are years long. Uh, so, but if we don't start today, every every day that we procrastinate is it makes it more difficult. Our guest today on On Target is Nate President Jerry Earl. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target uh, is Jerry Earle, uh, president of NAEP. And Jerry, 2022, of course, saw the successful conclusion to collective bargaining for, if memory serves, 13 bargaining units in NAEP. But a few were left outstanding, including corrections and I think forestry firefighters, again, going from memory. So yeah. where is that process now? Well, what we've done, Linda, actually, we've done because. One thing NAEP is doing, we have over 100 bargaining units, actually, so we're always bargaining. The groups who were references would be our public sector, our Marine Institute, and MUN. This is the first time that we went to the bargaining table with 21 groups. Uh, um, Marine Institute was two, with MUN we had five, and then the rest came from the public sector. All were successfully concluded, as you indicated, with the exception of three, uh, and that was Marine Services, Air Services, and our correctional officers. They have some unique uh, challenges that are trying to be addressed. So those three remain outstanding. It's, again, not only NAEP that's trying to uh, get time at the bargaining table because government bargains with us, with all of those groups we just mentioned. Then they're obviously involved with other unions in the province trying to represent whether it be the NLTA, uh, the Registered Nursing Union, whether it be QP. AHP, and that's just those groups, but again, 
IBEW. So they're bargaining with multiple groups. So we will have to follow through the process as required by legislation uh, to try to reach successful collective agreements with those three, and we're still working toward that. Uh, unfortunately, it's getting time in that rotation now with all the other bargaining that's happening, but the conversation being had to try to get that scheduled and move forward. And like I said, it's unique issues in each one of those, and then correction officers have a very different process uh, than any other public sector group where they are all declared essential and actually do not have the right to strike. So there's a process there, if we can't reach a successful corrective agreement, that both parties are required by legislation that we have to actually actively participate in. Yeah, because normally if, uh, if um, uh, an agreement is rejected, that's the next step. Exactly. Again, some organizations, reje- rejection of an agreement means uh, invoking a strike. That's not the, the policies or procedures we need, basically. We will make a, a continued attempt and then actually go back to members again and members decide. Because that's one thing. All unions are very democratic and NAEP much more so. It's the members that make that decision. I always jokingly say it's leadership. We don't get any vote. We can make a suggestion, uh, but it's frontline workers that will make that determination. So those three groups cross our fingers early in the new year uh, that we can get back at the table uh, for those three groups and try to iron out the, the difficulties that were identified uh, and come up to agreements and the members at the end of the day and those individual bargaining units because one in bargaining unit don't influence the other uh, will make those determinations then on next steps. NAEP's been working away, of course, at recruiting new members. Uh, what was 2022 like in terms of uh, recruitment? Recruitment has been going quite well, uh, although here in the province, and we've had just conversation with Mer- Minister Davies and others, uh, here in the province, the legislation works against uh, workers that are trying to organize. I always jokingly say, if governments had to follow the same process to become a government as mem- workers had to follow to join the union, uh, we would not have a current government in Newfoundland, Labrador, and actually we wouldn't have a current government in most provinces in the country, uh, because the process is very cumbersome and works against work. So we're actually lobbying uh, NAEP and other unions, along with our Federation of Labor, for legislative changes uh, to give frontline workers that want to join a union fair chance. But uh, you've seen the success we had. Uh, unfortunately, it started off with a labor dispute, but it resolved itself with choices for youth. Uh, we have got other groups that we've organized in the nonprofit sector, because people don't realize in the nonprofit sector, there are a number of employees uh, that don't have a collective voice uh, that certainly need one in that sector. And we've done that now with five or six groups thus far, uh, several other groups in the private ambulance sector, so uh, quite pleased in the areas that we've had uh, come looking uh, for NAEP to be their representative body and their voice in their workplaces. Uh, throughout the course of the conversation, we've been talking about, you know, how, what kind of actions need to be taken and that sort of thing. And it, it sounds like you have a fairly open conversation going on uh, with uh, various levels of government. Multiple levels, levels with the exception of one or two, uh, and actually that's been remedied most recently because early January we'll have a meeting with the minister in that particular department. Uh, I always say, look, there's going to be difficult conversations. We're not always going to agree because we deal with multiple employers right here in Newfoundland, Labrador. We deal with a multinational organization that represent Labatt's, and most employers will tell that we will sit down and have open, frank, honest conversations. We're prepared to have the difficult ones, and sometimes we don't always agree. Uh, that's 
part of what we, because we're there to represent the workers in these organizations. And with government, I have to say, uh, past governments and current, we try to have, because one unique thing with Nate is a number of our members are actually employees of government. And some people don't understand that relationship because we're not just a bargaining agent. Uh, like Actually, a large chunk of our members actually work directly for government. So we have to treat them as an employer, not only just a government. So that's a challenging situation sometimes. So people say, well, why aren't you doing this? Well, it's because of a different relationship. Because they're actually an employer of many of our members. So that makes it challenging. But I must say, in most cases, we have really good relationships with ministers. Uh, and again, I'll say we don't always agree. But it's important to have those conversations, and especially the difficult conversations. What do you expect now in 2023? Where are some of the priority areas? A number of priority areas is, again, what we started right off with, uh, trying to deal with the issues that we have in healthcare, so that we have a healthcare system meets the needs of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians and meets the needs of those that are working there. Because that is very important. As a patient, first of all, come into the system, and then the workers that are in that system, uh, they, we got to acknowledge, like, workers have made a tremendous contribution. Uh, the healthcare system wouldn't be as good as it is, and it, it is, like, even with its challenges. We have a good healthcare system. Uh, the, the same in our areas in corrections, the same with our social workers, and I can keep going down like I said in home care. Uh, we have to do what we can uh, to stabilize these areas. Retention is a big problem, and recruitment is a big problem. So dealing with those two, uh, obviously healthcare is a priority, but there's other priority areas as well that we touched on, like I said, whether it be corrections, social workers, home care, student assistance you name them, uh, and we're dealing with each and every one of those, and we'll continue to do so uh, to the best of our abilities. I know there are an awful lot of challenges out there, and we've touched on all a, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, when you reflect back on 2022, is there anything in particular that, you know, um, makes you feel uplifted, that puts a smile on your face? Just seeing what, what workers contribute, as difficult as it is, when you look at what workers do in difficult times, just give you a couple of examples. When uh, the forest fires in central Newfoundland, we had executive meeting in central Newfoundland. We got up one morning around 6 o'clock in the morning, so we went and meet the forest fires before they went out in the field uh, for what were 12, 14-hour days, sometimes 12 and 14-hour days straight, and just dropping off a drop of coffee to them. They were really appreciative. But the first thing they said to us, uh, this camp here, Maxim's camp it was, has been really good to us. Is there a way that we can give back to them? And they asked our union to make a contribution. Uh, the same when you, when you think of the people, what they went through on the, our southwest coast. Again, we had members that were on the front line. We reached out to those members to ask them, what can we do for you to assist you with the challenge that you have, with all the flooding and the devastation? And it wasn't, what can you do for us? What can you do uh, to support our community? So we started the fund where you can drive here in Nape, and our membership came up, I think, close on $40,000 to contribute uh, to the members. So though workers are challenged, I'm always impressed the way they step up, uh, whether it be in corrections, whether it be like in healthcare. So that's the good that I see. But amongst all the bad, uh, I just knowing what workers are prepared to do, and not just our members, that's workers in general in, our, in this province, I'm always impressed what they step up and do, even in the most difficult times. Because our province has seen certainly some challenges here, like the, the forest fires in central, Fiona, the continuation of the pandemic and that we've we've had certainly at our fair fair share challenges. 
And of course, they are members of the community. They're our neighbors, they're our friends, they're everywhere. And that's a motto that we took on. Uh, everything that we do as Napier always says enough. We are community because there is not a community in Newfoundland, Labrador, where we don't have a member that works and lives with our close on 28,000 members. So they are part of the communities. And that's the thing they always want to do is when their communities get in trouble, is not what can you can do for that worker, is what can that worker do to give back to their communities. And they, they repeat that over and over. Uh, we have continuous things to do every year, but I'm always impressed with that. Like I said, what I see workers step up and do, even though they're facing significant challenges themselves. Uh, and again, examples as recently, I had a video sent to me just one of a smile on my face from a, a group of healthcare workers in a long-term care facility in Carbonier yesterday. Uh, collected money amongst themselves, didn't even come to their union, which but we will step in and help them out uh, because there was a number of residents that facility won't have any family this Christmas. They collected money amongst themselves uh, and done a, a mummer Christmas thing yesterday went around and give gifts to the resident facility. That's what workers do every day. Um, as we head into 2023, I mean, you've been present, you mentioned uh, about eight years now. Are you going to stay with it? The days I sat down, but yes, no, absolutely in all serious. Uh, I've always said when I don't enjoy what I'm doing, uh, that's the time to step aside. Members will make that decision, obviously. When, but again, I still enjoy what I do. It's extremely challenging, but I, no more challenging what our members do every day. We're here to try to assist our workers, the staff, board of NAEP, and our volunteers across the province to do everything we can to advocate for frontline workers to assist them. Uh, so when I don't enjoy this work, uh, I'll step away, uh, and that's like any worker when they know they need to make that change they will but I still enjoy those days when I sit back and say uh, like any worker does holy crap what a day what a day indeed there's a lot of those <laughs> um, <laughs> any, a lot of those any special messages to your members as we head into the holidays I want to say to our members and also to every worker in Newfoundland Labrador, thank you for what you do under extremely challenging circumstances and to workers, our members, and the people of Newfoundland Labrador. All the very best to those that celebrate Christmas, uh, to everybody. Enjoy the holidays ahead. Look at what's most important. Uh, while we face challenges, getting to spend a little bit of time with those that we love, our families, our friends, I think is the most important thing we can do. And wish you and your staff and everybody all the very best. Jerry Earl, uh, thanks for your time. Always uh, yourself and Keith, always very responsive uh, whenever the uh, request goes out for comment on uh, many of the issues facing Newfoundland and Labrador today. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully you'll get a little bit of downtime now over Christmas, and the same can be said of our very hardworking uh, workers right across the province, no matter what sector they're in or who represents them. Um, all the best to you now. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you, Linda, and like I said, Merry Christmas to you and your staff and to the entire province. Thank you so much. And we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to hear from Finance Minister Siobhan Cody, and that will be the last uh, on target of the year, of the season. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.